God, we thank you for being in our midst this morning. Thank you for um, allowing us to experience your presence, your love, your kindness, your grace. I ask that, that you would help us have ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts willing to love, God, feet willing to be obedient. I pray that um, your word would land on fertile soil today. Bring us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I don't have any good joke today, so, um, and I can't make fun of myself this morning either. So Macy's not here and whatever. That's all right. We're just going to be serious today. So we are on the church at Philadelphia. And I just want to um, remind you guys, go back, listen to the messages, remember some of the important things that, that we've shared and I just continually think about the first message when we talked about Ephesus and the model that Christ gives us at the end of when we find ourselves in a season of spiritual stubbornness or rebellion or the place of losing our first love, there's a model. It's um, simple, but yet it's also very complex. And the model is this. Remember, repent, and redo. And I just want to remind you guys, that's a model to get back to this place of fire for Christ. Remember, repent, and redo. Remember how far you have fallen. Repent from how far you have fallen. And then do the works that you did at first. So um, that was several weeks ago. And it's easy to feel like that was years ago almost, right? So um, there's certain things just, man, we could break these messages apart. I'm sure people have written books on one chapter of, or one church of Revelation, right? There's probably books and sermons upon sermons upon sermons. So there's always something fresh you can find in it. But um, I hope by now, that you have gathered through this series that God extremely loves us, extremely loves you and I. This always doesn't look the way we think it should. Not only does his love confront us, it convicts us, it purifies us, it warns us of his firm judgment. Hopefully we have gathered that God isn't playing games. Um, he knows that there's a war going on. This morning in pre-service prayer, um, an idea of, of the battle came up. The battle isn't with flesh and blood, right? There's things that we don't see, principalities in this world that the battle is against. So we are praying about that. And Christ um, isn't playing games. God isn't playing games. He knows us better than we know ourselves. These are things that we've gathered from this series. He sees through our fluff. You appear to be alive, but you are dead. He sees through it. We, 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 we can maybe fake one another, but we can't fake him. As we've been trekking through this series, it should be evident that we are at war. The church is at war on a daily basis. The global church, the local church, the individual church. Each day you and I face temptation to turn from Christ, right? To sin, to rebel, to compromise, to trust ourselves. Each day we face those things. There is a war going on for our souls for marriages, for freedom, for our physical health. There's a war going on right now. There's a war as we sleep. There's a war as we're awake. In the middle of all of this, though, we see Christ walk among the churches, telling us to hold fast. Hold fast. Don't let go. Hold on. 
just keep holding. He, he, probably, he probably goes into the Dory mode, right? Just keep holding, just keep holding, just keep holding. To walk in passion, to walk in purity, to walk in truth, and to endure suffering. Why? Because there's something greater than this life. Why? Because there's something greater in this life, which is a relationship with him. There's eternity in Christ's presence. It's important to remember that your next life is based upon this life. Not only your life, but your friend's life, your coworkers' lives, your siblings' lives, your parents. Strangers' lives are at stake. There's literally a war going on over our lives today at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship in our friends' lives, in our family members' lives. And so often we think the war is just my, my uh, big toe getting fixed. I stubbed my toe, that's the only battle I'm thinking about. No, literally, there, one day there will be a divide of heaven in God's presence and hell, the absence of God's presence. Which one do you want? What's interesting in the world today is there's all these different categories of, um, all these different categories of things. I'm a, I'm a Lions fan. Well, I'm a Buckeyes fan. I'm weird and I like the school up north. There's all these categories, Krista said. Look, we will lead you to Jesus right now. <laughs> There's all these different categories, right? And we're so delusioned to think that there actually are many different categories. How many categories are there? There's two. What are the categories? with Christ or against Christ. I don't care your skin color. I don't care the football team you like. I don't care if you're rich or poor. I don't even care if you're Po. There's a difference. There's poor and then there's Po. <laughs> I don't care what you are. You're either with Christ or you're against Christ. And there's a war going on. We need to remember that with every action that we take. for ourselves and for others. The good thing about all of this is God knew and God knows the price of the battle and he came to the churches and he comes to us today to share with us about spiritual states that we're in. He convicts us, he encourages us, he confronts us, he warns us and guess what he also does? He promises to return. That's really exciting. All in the hope that we will give everything, not some of which we want to give, everything that we have to him and to not make any more compromises. The things that God's asking of you aren't things to make your life worse. The things that he wants from you are actually to bring your life into greater freedom. He doesn't want any more compromises. He wants everything. So today, we are on the sixth church of Revelation, and it's Philadelphia. So, um, so I wanted to reminisce a minute. I don't have the music today, but uh, I want to reminisce. So for you older folk, I want to pull up a picture of a, song, uh, of, of a song that you guys might like. Bruce Springsteen, how many of you guys know that song? All the streets of Philadelphia. I, I could probably do the music video right now. Literally, I watched a music video this week, and that's the whole thing he did. Just, 
in the streets of Philadelphia. Da, 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 da. I'm not going to get stuck there. I'll get stuck there. If I was at home, next three hours. <laughs> Macy would be so annoyed. She'd be praying for my deliverance. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> so for you younger generation, let's go to the next slide. How many of you guys know that song? I was born and I was raised. Someone needs to share their testimony sometime like that. I was born and I was raised and I was up to no good. Started making trouble in my neighborhood. My mom got scared. <laughs> You're moving with your aunties and uncles in Bel Air. So this is all about Philadelphia, right? The church at Philadelphia. Or um, is Eric in here today? Eric and Daisy? This was solely for them. They're in Philadelphia. Oh, you know what? This one's not for them. This one's for all you people who are still on your New Year's resolution, right? Literally, whenever my dad gives me motivational talks, he always goes back to this song. He says, look, sometimes you just got to tell the church to put on that Rocky music. Put on that Rocky music and just put their head down and do it. We are victorious, right? So Philadelphia. And then the last one, this one was for Eric. We got the Super Bowl champions, the Philadelphia Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly. Any Eagles fans in here? All right, we, we got one. <laughs> oh, I bet you just liked them this year too, huh? <laughs> That's how it works. I'm just playing. But really, other than the city of love, who was Philadelphia? And we could again talk and talk and talk about who they were. But Philadelphia faced similar pressures as other Christians at that time. But Christ's message to the church was not about correction. It offered encouragement and promises. And I think if we stop right there, when we think of Christ, we often think that the only thing he offers us is correction, right? We feel like we fall so far short that the only thing that he can do is spank us and offer us correction. But within this church right here, he offered encouragement. That's a good thing to think that I have a God that wants to encourage me, that wants to stir me, stir me up. Nevertheless, Philly was located about 30 miles southeast of Sardis, and uh, I think we have a picture. So we have, um, we have a map here. And kind of the way these, these letters went about, or at least the way he wrote the letter, letters, is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So there was, there was an order, right? You can see the progression. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If you went to a grocery store with a woman, it would not look like this. If you went to a grocery store with a woman, it would be three, seven, four, one, five, two, six, four, one. So a woman did not put these together, or at least Macy did not. Husbands, I'm really getting your attention. Women, you, you shut your ears off, right? Nevertheless, um, number six is where we're at. Number seven is where we're headed. So... In this, in this chapter, in this address, Jesus addresses four characteristics of his that we're going to uh, talk about at this time. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation 3, verse 7, we're going to start there. I believe we have it on the screen if you do not have your Bibles. Verse 7, here we go. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true and who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. 
and what he shuts, no one can open. So revelation, as we learned several weeks ago and even throughout, is it's about the revelation of who Christ is. And he's addressing characteristics right here, four of them, in one sentence. Two sentences, sorry. So he is holy, the first one. So Jesus is addressing his deity. One God can be holy. One. One God can be holy. Therefore, he is God. And guess what? He is holy. He is set apart above everything else. I feel like sometimes we only believe that in our subconscious. We need to have that reminder that God is above everything else. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. Above everything else, every other God. When Macy and I first um, got married, there was a kid across the street. And guess what he was? He was his own God. Connor was his own God. Maybe he thought he was his own God. But guess what Connor wasn't? He wasn't holy. He wasn't set apart. He doesn't match up with this God. Jesus Christ is God himself. Isaiah 6 refers to Christ being holy, 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 right? Acts chapter 4, that holy child. John chapter 6, he is the holy one of God. In Mark chapter 1, the demons say, I know who you are, the holy one of God. First Peter, the Holy One who calls us. Jesus is in his own category. No one or thing comes close to him. Period. He is holy. Can we say that? He is holy. 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 And what is interesting to me is we understand um, no one's perfect. No church is perfect. Christ is holy, and we understand that Philadelphia isn't perfect. But guess what? He still comes to them, and he speaks life. He speaks life to them even though they're not perfect. Number two, he is true. True in Greek can simply mean authentic. So Jesus is the truth and he is the only truth. He is authentic. Against his truth, everything is measured. Our sin is measured against his truth. Our goodness is measured against his truth. Our revelations are measured against his truth. Our actions are measured against his truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Yet Jesus, as the true God, that everything's measured against, guess what? He still chooses to speak life to Philadelphia. Even in your mess, my perspective of God is that he chooses to speak life to me, that he chooses to encourage me. And I believe as a church, we have to foundationally believe that God wants to speak life to us even in our mess. What gets us to repentance? God's anger, God's wrath. Is that what scripture says? It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So we have a God that's true, that everything's measured against, but yet, he still wants to speak encouragement. Amen to that. Third point, he holds the key of David. God had promised David, the first rightful son of Israel, that his throne would be established 
forever. 2 Samuel um, 12 and 13 say this. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jesus is identified a couple times in Revelation as the root of David. So scripture saying, look, the Messiah is gonna come from this family, but yet he's identifying himself as the root of, root of David, implying if he's the root of David, what is he? He's the source of David. So yes, he came from the same lineage, right? But now he's also the root of David. The son of David was therefore the, uh, carry the messianic title. Jesus is the only one who has the sovereign authority to determine who enters the messianic kingdom, paradise, heaven, and who cannot. He also oversees the riches of heaven, the abundance of heaven, and he chooses how to distribute those riches. Even though Philadelphia, we just understand that no one's perfect. Now in this specific scripture, we don't see what Christ has against them, but there does have to be a, be, be a belief that they were not perfect, right? Can we agree to that? I, th I think we can. Therefore, even though Philadelphia was not perfect, we're going to see here in a minute how Christ, as uh, the, the person who holds the key of David, opens up heaven to them. And I believe if he opens up heaven to Philadelphia, why wouldn't he open up heaven to you and I? Why can't he? I think he is, and I think he does. He oversees, carries authority, and chooses how to distribute the riches of heaven. And look, you're crazy if you don't want the riches of heaven. Who wants the riches of heaven? I want the riches of heaven. The fourth thing he addresses about a characteristic is what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus is identified. A big, not even a big, O word here, but omnipotent, omnipotent, all-powerful. He cannot be outdone. He cannot be outpowered. He cannot be outfought. The door he shuts, no man can open, and the door he opens, no one can shut. The favor he puts on your life, no one can steal. The blessings he puts on your life, no one can take. The doors he opens in your life, no one can shut. He holds the keys to who enters the kingdom. John 14, 6, as we said earlier, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The door that Jesus opens through, through Jesus, right? Christ is the only way to the kingdom. Amen? Christ is the only way. Christ has nothing bad to say about this church. And they were not without fault. He opens the doors of heaven to this church and gives access to them like none other. And I believe Christ desires to give us that same access today. And I would dare to say that he's already given us that access. So there are so many things that we can cover in uh, Revelation 3, in the church of Philadelphia. But I do wanna, um, I wanna read the rest, the rest of the, I guess, church, and then I'm gonna give you three lessons we can learn. So uh, let's buckle in. Uh, for verses 8 through 13. 
I know your deeds, see. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test its inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God in the name of, my, uh, in name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a lot there that gets me excited. And the vindictive part of me is like all these fakers, all these people who act like they're Christians, but they're talking bad about me all the time and talking about my people all the time. God is going to humble them at my feet. And everyone's like, that, that's the part that everyone really loves. Like we could talk about, if we really wanted to preach today, I could get a church clapping and dancing. We could probably have revival take place right now if I just started talking about our enemies bowing at our feet, right? So there's a lot here. But the three things that we can learn, we're gonna really just look at verse eight and nine, is... Um, God provides an open door. So many believe that this reference in verse 8, that God provides an open door, refers to open doors in ministry. So God's going to provide you open doors in ministry in your church, in your family, in your community, at work, um, as you travel on vacation, that God's going to provide those open doors of ministry. Others believe that this, is, um, the, this open door refers to an open door of salvation, that, that God freely gives salvation for whoever believes, right? Others believe that this, is, this open door is about, there's been an open door of resources to spread the gospel. So where, where do I stand? Yes. That's where I stand, yes. I think God's open door, we don't even know probably how wide it goes but there's an open door for us within our personal lives, within Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship, for ministry, to spread the gospel. There's an open door um, for salvation. And Christ does that. What is paramount for us is to be willing to walk through the doors that God has opened. How many times do we sit there like um, a video game with a glitch just trying to go through the same door and you just can't get it to ever work, right? And you just keep on going and you keep on pounding and you say, but God, but God, this, this is the door I'm supposed to go through. This is the door, this is the door, this is the door. 40 years go by. This is the door, this is the door, this is the door. What's important for us is to see the doors that God has opened for our community, for our individual lives. Far too often, we try to force doors open that shouldn't be open. And not even shouldn't be open, can't be open. Praise God that, that God has kept doors shut in my life that I wanted to open. I wouldn't be here today if I could open the doors that I wanted to open. Even this week, my mind can go anywhere it wants to go. If God would let some of those doors be open even this week, where would I be? I remember uh, back in high school, my friend Matt Sleemers, um, 
Matt wanted to bring us to a basketball game, uh, basketball practice at Ohio State. So he met Coach Mata. No, he actually met Coach Jim O'Brien at Applebee's once. So he, he saw the Ohio State basketball team at Applebee's. So he went over there and um, he went over there and he said, hey, Coach O'Brien, how are you? And he said, really good. Uh, nice to meet you. And, uh, Matt met him and they shook hands. And this guy decided that he was going to ask Coach O'Brien if he'd come to a practice. So he said, hey, Coach O'Brien, do you think I can come to a practice next week? Caught him off guard. He said, yeah, sure. So Matt ended up going to a practice. He became good friends with Coach O'Brien. He went to practices every week. Then he became friends with the person who opened up the door. So now, whenever Matt came, whether Coach O'Brien invited him or not, the person who opened up the door would just let him right on in. He didn't even need a badge. Just walked right in. And um, what ended up happening is then Coach O'Brien gets fired. Coach Mata comes in. Matt doesn't even need to know Coach Mata. Guess who he knew? He knew the one who opened the door. So guess what he did? I don't know the person's name. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Matthew. She went right on in. Just right on in. Met Coach Mata. So what ended up happening is um, Matt brought us over. Uh, Joel, myself, and my big friend Justin, we all went over to... Um, see um, Greg Oden and Mike Conley in their final, four, actually national championship team, though they didn't win. We got to see them and uh, watch them practice. But when we got there, I was so nervous because literally for me, it's like I would probably knock on that door and no one would come. It's be like, oh, you know, we're not even supposed to be here. Like, this is scaring me. I'm not going to get in trouble for this. Matt's just like open up the Schottenstein Center and he's doing twirls and like, like he owns the place. Like, come on, guys. It's like, man, this is scaring me. He's going through all these back doors. And then finally, out of nowhere, through about 35 doors, security guards, and he's just trekking along. We finally get to the next door. And that door, you need a key to get through. That's what's important. Is... We need to know the one who opens the doors. We need to know the one who opens the door to heaven, who opens the door to freedom in our life. It didn't matter that Matt was friends with Coach O'Brien. It, it didn't even matter that Matt hardly even knew Coach Mata. Coach Mata just probably figured it was the president's son. <laughs> And he's just like, this kid just keeps on showing up. And now he's bringing all these guests. It's like, I don't know what to do. I'm new here. We still needed to get through that door. We needed to know the person who held that key. What's important for us is to not only know that, that God is a true God, that he's a loving God, that he's a merciful God, but he's the one who holds the key to the doors in our life. So that person came and they opened up the door and then we had access. We need to know the person. We need to have a personal relationship with the guy with the big keys. You know, I've always been told the more keys you have, the more authority you have. I always say the more keys you have, then um, you're just a hoarder. <laughs> Ain't nobody got that many properties. You don't need no 35 keys. Christ is the one that opens the doors. God is providing opportunities for you in this church. And we need to first know him. Know him, walk in relationship with him. And second, walk through the doors that he has opened. Walk through the doors that he's opened in your life. So point number one is God provides open doors. Number two, depend on Christ. Depend on Christ's strength. Philly, according to scripture, was small in strength. 
many believed that this was referring to the size of the church. So let's just pretend Philly was actually um, in a volcanic area and it was destroyed uh, a couple times and many people got so frustrated that um, they never even wanted to move back. But imagine Philly was in the cornfields of Ohio and there was 170 people there. Small in comparison to what the horseshoe can hold, right? Very small. It's just Mechanicsburg, right? This is, God's never going to use us to impact the world because this is just Mechanicsburg. You know what? This is just Mechanicsburg. He probably won't even have us influence Champaign County. And you know what? Springfield's really big. They got 66,000 people. 175 people couldn't make any kind of impact. Many believe that when Scripture's talking about their strength, it was that they, 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 there weren't a lot of them. There's not a lot of us, is there? And take our church out of it. Macy and I together, there's two of us. We're small in numbers, but guess what? It's not about our strength. Because anything left to our own devices and our own strength will fail. We, we have to realize that. Anything that you try by yourself, there's a great chance that you will fail. Your strength doesn't come from the numbers that you have in a community, but it comes from the one who is ahead of that community. Our strength at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship comes from the head of the church. Guess who the head of the church is? Christ. Our strength comes from Christ. And he's the one who opens and delivers and distributes all the resources of heaven. So what do I lack? What do we lack here at the church? What we lack is the willingness to step into the resources that he's willing to distribute. Sometimes what we lack is willing to step through the doors that he's opened in our life. God demonstrates his strength in our weakness. Philly was small, but yet spiritually they were strong. We always want to be as, um, as strong as possible, especially when facing any new challenges, right? You want to prepare yourself for challenges. You want to um, be ready for them. We always want to be as strong as possible. We often have no problem facing new challenges when the odds are on our side, right? So it's like, shoot. I think if Al Troyer and I had to get in a boxing ma match, I'd feel pretty good about that. <laughs> I feel like the odds were on my side. Al, welcome to my dojo. Grab my wrist, my other wrist, your other wrist. Thank you for getting that. I would feel good if the odds were in my favor. A lot of times as Christians, it feels like the odds are not in our favor because the practical resources of the world are against us. We let mainstream media, we let Facebook, we let uh, the general population dictate the way we feel about how, uh, how full we are in the presence of God. Our preference is to have as many resources, people, or experience as possible. It is often no problem to us if we have the upper hand. Right? We feel good about it. But what about when there's 175 people in a church and God says, I want you to influence the world? We don't feel as qualified to do that, do we? But when we don't feel qualified, we make it about ourselves instead of him. We don't open the door to heaven, he does. 
We don't open the resources to heaven, he does. So why, would, why if he opens the door, why if he distributes the resources, why then are we gonna carry the weight of impacting the world? We won't. You know what we'll do? We'll be obedient to him. Nevertheless, we find many situations in scripture where people are outnumbered. In Judges 7, Gideon had 32,000 men, right? God tells him that his army is too large. So guess what? He gets rid of 22,000. Now, what's interesting is now he has 10,000. The school up north has 135,000. You got the good going against the evil, the school up north. 10,000 versus 135,000. The odds are not in your favor, is it? Practically, you say to yourself, not gonna happen. God, I know you're a big God, but let's just have a, let's just, God, that's me killing by myself an average of like 11,000 men. I mean, like, there's not even cheat codes. <laughs> I don't have infinity mode. I don't have respawning. I got 11,000 people I have to take out myself. And you ever see me try to pick up this sword? You ever see me with a crossbow? And God takes it another level. He says, you have too many. And he takes that 10,000 down to 300. 300 men versus a horseshoe full of people. Could you imagine being on the block O in the middle of the field with two of our churches back to back waiting for them to rush the field? 100,000 people rush the field to take us out. Where we are weak, Christ is strong. And Christ opens up the resources of heaven for us. In the doors that he opens, no one can shut. In the doors that he shuts, no one can open. And guess what? The assurance of Christ in us, there would be victory. Our God isn't a practical God. It doesn't make sense to me. But let's just say this. What ended up happening is with those 300 men, he said, Ken, take your group and you stay here. He said, Luke, I want you to go over to uh, South End Zone. And Joey, I want you to go over by the flagpole. Take 100 men, take 100 men, take 100 men. And now it's like, now I'm even divided more. That's nuts. Philadelphia didn't have a lot of strength. But yet God still encouraged them, still spoke life to them. In another scenario in 2 Kings 6, the Bible describes how God provides an army. Many of you may be familiar with the story. There's an army of angels leading horses and chariots of fire to protect the prophet Elisha and his servant. And he opens the servant's eyes so he can see an angelic army surrounding him. Again, a situation of being outnumbered. And that's often how it is. Is it's like God's not going to force us. He can't force us to step into the things that don't make sense. He can't do it. But I think we often have the backing of heaven. If it's the right door, we have the backing of heaven. We don't always see it. So sometimes what we need to ask is for God to open up our eyes. When we're at work and we know we need to minister to someone at work, God, I'm so scared, open up my eyes. When we have a friend that we have to speak truth to, God, I'm scared, open up my eyes. When he speaks to Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship, I want you to impact the world. I want you to have a global legacy for Christ being honored and glorified and being manifested in your presence. Guess what we say? Open up my eyes. We need to pray the prayer to ask God to open up our eyes to what he's doing more often than not. God, open up my eyes. Open up my eyes, open up my eyes. What matters 
what, um, what matters is not how small you personally feel, how big you think your sin is, how limited you think your resources are. It doesn't matter that you're a church in a cornfield. It doesn't matter what your diagnosis is. It doesn't matter what your bank account says. What matters? Who Christ is. And who Christ is in you. What matters is your strength comes from Christ in all situations. Now, we do have to be careful to not deny that strength. We can do that. Don't deny the power. Every situation we are to depend on him. Point three, we need to keep God's word. It is paramount that the core of our faith is tied to the truth in God's word. Where do you get your truth from? The Facebook, the Google. Hey, Sharon, you won't believe. No, that was a Facebook ad that was fake. It is very hard as a Christian to grow, to mature, to experience freedom if you are not in God's word daily. Look, he's coming to encourage us today, right? Get in my word because there's life. Don't worry about the, don't carry the obligation of getting in God's word. Think of the reward. There's, he never wants us to read the word out of, you need to do this. He wants you to read the word so that you can live life abundantly in peace so that when you encounter situations, you're like, I get an army of the angelic behind me. That when I face hard situations, I say, Christ is living in me. But if I'm only getting that from the Facebook or the Google or um, what's her name? Not Siri, but Alexa. Alexa, tell me about the Bible. Guess what Alexa's gonna tell you? Nothing. Alexa, tell me about Muhammad. Guess what she'll tell you? She'll tell you about Muhammad. So what do we go to? We don't go to Alexa, we don't go to Siri, we don't go to the Google, we go to God's word. And if we want to take this life seriously, if we, if we, look, sometimes as Christian we say, I wish I would see more people set free. Do you wanna see more people set free? Then I want you to read your Bible more. That's the first key. Read your Bible more. Ask God to help you, um, help you see You cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If we are faithful to God's word, I believe it will actually lead us to the doors that God has opened in our lives for growth, for ministry, salvation, deliverance, gospel opportunities, and so much more. If we make God's word a priority, many other things seem to fall into place. Life comes when you're diligent about reading God's word. Prayer is really important. Really, really, really important. Hearing God's voice is really, really, really important. But whenever you hear God's voice, if it's not based upon God's word, guess what? You don't know if you're hearing him or not. If you want to hear God's voice more, guess what you need to do? You need to know the Bible deeper. Because he can only tell you deeper things based upon the Bible. You can only grow as deep as you know the word. Know the, if, if you want to go deeper, be obedient. Read the word. Starts with obedience. Why don't you stand with me? My challenge to you, there's so much left within Philadelphia this week that we could address, that we could talk about, that we could debate. This week, 
with everything that's left over. Go home. Start, literally start today. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow doesn't come for some of us, right? This evening might not come for some of us. Start today. What's wrong with walking in the presence of God? You know how how weird it would be for me to be married with Macy and every time I sat next to her, I just said, you know what? I don't really want to be here. And look, I know in marriages there are seasons where you get frustrated. But imagine if every time I was in the presence of Macy, I just said, I don't want to be here. I'm only doing this because I have to. Sometimes the way that we read read God's word is that way. I'm only doing it because I have to. I'm only doing it because I feel the weight of the obligation of what I signed up for. There's freedom as we get into God's word. There's answers to situations in our life. There's answers to other people's lives. And you know what? God wants to speak secrets to you. And most of the time, God speaks secrets as you read his word. Get into his word. So tonight, today, at lunch, with your family, get into God's word. Do it. Read the rest of Philadelphia. Ask God to open up your eyes to the surpassing knowledge and revelation that's in there to transform your heart, to understand that though you may feel weak, that he is strong. This week, try to live into these principles of walking through the doors that God has opened in your life. Don't fight for doors to be opened. Walk through the the doors that God has opened. Depend on Christ's strength wherever you're at. And keep God's word as a priority in your life.